Quick survey, how many love the cold? You prefer cold? How many of you are like, I need it hot, this is driving me crazy? All right. All right. But I think we can agree that all creation declares the glory of God, right? You just look out there, million dollar view, all right? Wayne's so, Wayne's so cool, he's like, hey, maybe we should just go out and talk to all the people taking photos and invite them in, right? Next time God does this, we'll set up donuts and coffee right there. <laughs> Photo. Hand them a little invite to church. Anyway, uh, lots of announcements. Come on up, Kathy. Women's ministry. If you don't know Kathy Bodycomb, doing an incredible job. Women's ministry. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, so... Um, on uh, Monday evenings at our Bible study, we are studying 1 John. And so I'd like to just read a little bit from 1 John 4. This is the Phillips translation. Dearly loved friends, let us go on loving one another, for love comes from God. And whoever truly loves has been born of God and knows God. But the one who does not love cannot know him at all, for God is love. To us, the greatest demonstration of God's love for us has been his sending his only son into the world to give, his life through, uh, to give us life through him. We see real love, not in the fact that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to make personal atonement or payment for our sins. If God loved us as much as that, surely we in our turn should love each other. Um, so this is kind of um, our um, going to be kind of our promotion of women's ministry this year, and kind of our uh, what we'd like to build uh, on this year of the events that we have. Um, this is our purpose for women's ministry: is to really is to demonstrate the love of God and to love each other. Um, so whatever events we have, um, we like to. Um, uh, we'd like you to think that this is a place to um, get to know each other, a place that where we, as we get to know each other, we um, can pray for each other, we can bring somebody new. Um, so just kind of, kind of wrap that all in into the events that we have. So um, that's getting down to uh, the event that I'm supposed to be actually announcing up here. Um, and that's the Coffee and Convos that's coming up this Saturday. March 4th, 10 a.m. here at the well. Um, it's usually outside, but it might be a little chilly, so we uh, might do most of it in the commons. So we're going to have a couple of things um, to make it a little fun. Um, we're having one little class um, that you could just participate in if you'd like, and it's tips on using your iPhone. So this is going to be an intergenerational class, the younger <laughs> teaching the older. Um, and then we're going to have an ice cream tasting bar at 10 a.m. So anyway, it should be fun. We'd like you all to come um, uh, to it. So thank you. Wow. Okay. Oops. Tips on using your iPhone. About tips on using a landline. That would be something, right? Right. How many landliners? Right. See, some people are like, "What? What's a landline?" Right. All right. Uh, next announcement, uh, Kathy. Again, thank you. Doing a wonderful job with women's men's men's ministry. I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, moving into 2023. Uh, the Lord has really put on on my heart and the the elders' heart uh, men's ministry, and we've been. Uh, Speaking about announcing a men's breakfast coming up Saturday, March 18th uh, at 
and there's a sign-up sheet on the welcome cart. But I want to really kind of just give you kind of a picture of where we're heading with men's ministry. Uh, There's different levels, and we know at a certain point, you know, men's breakfasts or men's barbecues or men's bowling, uh, there's value to that. There's friendships, there's just hanging out, getting to know one another. We get that. And Mark has a men's Bible study Wednesday night via Zoom. There's an incredible one Sunday mornings here at 9 with Matt and Jody facilitating it. And so that's, that could be another level of interaction and sharing of lives. Uh, but specifically this year moving forward, what we're going to do, and we'll, sp- we'll be speaking more of this uh, at the breakfast, is we are really going to uh, invite the men here, uh, not just to share lives, uh, but if you want to call it, uh, maybe get a little more real with life and specifically dealing with uh, issues that are specific to the men. Uh, It could be uh, what it means to be a godly husband, what it means to be a godly dad. It could be what we've been talking about, stewardship. It could also be issues that, quite honestly, uh, even in the church, a very high percentage of men deal with pornography and lust. And, uh, you know, sometimes those subjects, uh, you bring them up, and it gets a little bit, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. You know, in fact, we kind of... Our challenge, right, our challenge, and I'll just be honest with you, our challenge here is, can you imagine we have a a, a Monday night Bible study? We have a Monday night Bible study for the men on pornography. Come at 7 p.m. How many cars are going to want to park right here, right? All you will park in the cul-de-sac, jump the fence, sneak in through the back, because I don't want my car, you know, can you imagine? Oh, Mark's there for that Monday night study. I know what he must be dealing with, right? Because I saw his car at the church, right? I say that with you to kind of just put it out there. We laugh about it, but it's true, right? And, and this fear and this stigma about these issues, quite frankly, I believe is used by the enemy. These core issues that are destroying your spiritual walk, that are destroying your marriage, that are destroying your home, Right? Uh, and are keeping you in bondage and in darkness, quite literally, the church offers great resources that you can come and be equipped and have support and prayer without shame and condemnation, and yet we are so, in our culture, so scared of what they'll think of me that we will choose to live in bondage rather than get help. And I say that as a brother in the Lord. I say that with great understanding. So we're going we're gonna to kind of seek the Lord just to let you know and, and you know, be very uh, wise and sensitive to how we're going to approach these issues. But I'm just telling you right up front, we're going to approach the issues. We're not, we're not going to skirt them because we're scared of what people are going to think. I mean, I'm going to guess that 99.99%, if not 100% of the men here or listening at home, have at some point, I'll just paint a really broad brush, at some point in your life, have dealt with pornography and lust. I'm just going to paint it really broad, okay? And so we want to, we want to, especially in the culture that we're in. You know, you talked about tips with iPhones. Well, there you go. Pornography is available everywhere. You know, we hear about how common it is at Nordoff, right? Think about that. And, and I know sometimes it's challenging for us in a different generation where you had to be sneaky about it and you had to go buy it somewhere and you had to eat. Now, it's right here. What do you do with that? How do you deal with that when the enemy and darkness comes in and it's like right there? 
So uh, we're going we're to address it. And, and it's not just that, but other issues. So, man, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to really, um, in, in, in some sense, take this the right way, uh, have some courage. Because for some, it's going to take a lot of courage to walk through the door. And that courage that you're going to have to take a few deep breaths about is to get over the fear of what these other guys are going to think about me. Until you get in the group and the other guys share and you're like, you too? And you're like, oh my gosh. We're, we're all broken. And not a one of us has it locked on 100% down. Okay, uh, The Bible calls us to bear each other's burdens. And again, sometimes uh, it's hard to one another because... As much as I need help, I'm just scared of what you or you or you are going to think about me. And so I'll live in isolation and bondage and really desperation, all because I'm scared of what some other guy is going to think about me. And this other guy is actually dealing with the same stuff and actually caught up in the same fears. Right? So I just share that with you. Uh, this breakfast, we're going to kind of uh, share the vision and, and really kind of enjoy ourselves and then present a plan and see where... Really, I'm just going to ask you, pray and be open to what God is saying to you about, you know, not just hanging out, not just sharing, but just kind of looking into this stuff. Because here's the thing, too. Uh, God might use you in someone else's life, right? Someone else's life. And being equipped to, let's say, deal with pornography or lust in a, in a small group setting, God might use you in someone else's life to help speak truth and bring light into that issue, and they might come to Jesus because of your ministry to them outside of these four walls. So there's also value to this, not just for me, but even to be salt and light and equipped to go into the community. Amen? All right, man. Jordan. Good morning, church. You don't know me. My name is Jordan Stuffelbeam. I am the youth director here at the Well, and I have one announcement for us for youth this week. And we're having a special guest speaker come. But before I get to that, uh, I just wanted to share a little bit about myself in the realm of just youth ministry because I didn't really—I grew up kind of going to church, but I never went to youth groups. So you know, I don't really know what they're like. And so uh, a lot of my own growth and development has been working with Richie because you know he was a youth pastor, and so. One of the things is learning a lot of the mechanics about how, you know, how an event or a program works. So there's a lot of you know, scheduling and stuff, uh, but one of the other things that he's been helping me with, and which I think is, is awesome, is, is really that component of just being yourself, but not it just being a program to run, uh, but really allowing it to be a relational kind of, um, there's relational aspects to it as well. And so that really resonates with me. So again, I, I didn't grow up going to youth groups. I, don't really, I didn't really know what they're like, so I jive a lot more with just kind of, we're being here, yeah, we're here, and we have games, and we have a teaching. But the heart for, for me in it is to really minister to the kids, to get to know them, and to really build that relationship with them. And so I share that because, uh, you know, I think many of you know that we do stuff on Wednesdays. We do stuff on Tuesdays, and they, you know, Bible studies, and we do events uh, but a heart, you know, my heart with it, and even my wife, Shiloh, like when we have students over on Tuesdays and you know, we have a Bible study, is to really get to spend time with them, get to know them, and really just be the body of Christ together. And so I share that because this Wednesday we are having a special event. And, uh, and if you don't know already, my wife and I are expecting our first child. Yes. In August. 
And so one of the ways that we like to, like I said, be relational with the students is we share our lives with them. So I don't know. I think they're okay with this, but we're pretty excited to share like when we've gone and to uh, Shiloh's uh, appointment and we have an ultrasound photo. And so we're like sharing about it, kind of put it into the teaching, you know, showing the value of life. And so we like to share our lives with them. And uh, so one of the things that we did is we actually revealed the gender of our baby and we had fun with it. So yes. <laughs> so if you can't tell, it, it is a girl. And uh, we brought treats that had little pink, uh, I think they were Valentine's cookies. I dressed up. Uh, so we like to have fun with it, and we like for them to be a part of our lives, right? Because uh, it's not just about all the teaching and stuff, although that's valuable. But, you know, being loved and accepted and just being the church is, is really valuable. So what we're doing, uh, some of you know that we support a, an organization called Life Choices. Uh, it's an organization here in Ohio, and they help families that are pregnant or, you know, and perhaps, you know, it could be just a single mother who's trying to struggle with uh, becoming pregnant, pregnant, she doesn't have a father around. Uh, so they support families through this process by providing them a lot of resources. A lot of it's for free, whether it's diapers, uh, even appointments so they can go to get stuff checked out. So what we're doing is we're inviting them to come out on Wednesday. Uh, and again, special speaker, she's going to talk about what they do, really talk about the value of life. And they're going to do a live uh, ultrasound on Shiloh's stomach while we're here. So uh, I don't know if many of the students have actually seen that. I know when I first saw it, it was kind of mind-blowing. But then when I actually went for Shiloh's first one, I freaked out. And in a really good way, when you just hear, like, the baby's heart, and you're like, that is my child in there? And I'm sure you parents, you, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, he's getting it now. Uh, and it's amazing. So I want to, we want to share that. We want to share that as, as just really showing the value that we have as human beings uh, in God's eyes. Um, and, and way before we're even, you know, out here in the world, you know, happens while the, the baby's still in there developing. So this is a special moment for us. We want to share it with the students. So parents, that's what we'll be doing this Wednesday at Youth Group. Um, so come join us. Thank you. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, seriously, it's like, really, I got to like follow those two announcements. I mean, dude, I should have gone first. All right. So, um, so I just want to talk about prayer, prayer and revival. Um, Gavin Ortland down the street at the Baptist church has really had a burden for more than a year or so just to be uh, gathering Christians from throughout the valley to get together and pray to be praying for revival. Let me just read you a definition uh, out of the dictionary. What is revival? It is an awakening in the church of interest in and care for matters relating to personal faith. It is an awakening in the church. And yes, it may go outside, and there may be you know, ways of sharing the gospel, but it starts with you and me. That's where revival starts. 
And so on Tuesday mornings, you've, you know, been hearing and seeing once a month, the first Tuesday of the month, there's an opportunity to get together. And there have been so far a couple of churches that have been represented there. And then tonight, uh, last, last Sunday was the first one. And tonight, uh, this has been kind of an impromptu thing that the Lord has just put on some people's heart. Uh, there's going to be a gathering down at the Baptist Church tonight at 730. Uh, last Sunday, there were four churches in the valley that were represented there. And what we're doing is simply responding to the Lord's desire for revival, of coming in prayer ourselves with our own hearts and our own lives to put ourselves before the Lord, because when we are revived in our lives, when we are revived in our churches, that is how the gospel is spread. When you look at, and I don't know how, if you followed it or have been encouraged by what's been going on over the last couple, three weeks in Asbury and a whole bunch of different colleges, but that was a move of the spirit. It started with students getting up and confessing sin and confessing their lives and just laying their lives before the Lord. So I just want to encourage you, if the Lord is prompting you or prompting you just in your own life to revive, um, there's an opportunity tonight, 7.30 down at the Baptist Church. Come on down and join us.
Well, good morning. I uh, really appreciated the song selection. Thank, thank you, Lynn and team, and, and that video. Uh, because as we move forward in the book of Mark, uh, it really helps us to stay present. Sometimes when we read the Bible, and particularly when you're in the Gospels and you're reading about what happened, sometimes if you're not careful, it turns into a bit of a history lesson. And you, you disconnect, you disassociate because you're reading about things that happened in the past, and you nod and you go, oh, that's pretty cool. That's, yeah, I get that. Yeah, I've heard that before. Oh, I didn't know that before. Okay. And then if you're not careful, it becomes very academic because it happened back then. Uh, so, you know, the songs, you know, people get ready, you know, joy to the world, you know, and, and again, how we compartmentalize, right? Yeah, why is, why, why is that just a Christmas song, right? Because uh, there should be joy that Jesus has come every day. Amen, right? And so uh, we compartmentalize and we kind of put things in boxes, even church, you know, Sunday, and then we leave here, then we get about our life, and then we go to the next box and the next box and the next box. And uh, I really want to encourage you, you know, the, the quotes there that I've seen on the video, it really even spoke to me and really challenged me to break out of even an evangelism box, right? Because even if you've, if you've been at church any length of time, you know, sometimes there's an evangelism ministry and they plan events, outreach events. And that's the evangelism part of that church. And, and it's weird because then we think that that's the only time you can evangelize is when they plan something, right? It's kind of like baptisms, right? Sometimes uh, you'll hear us promote a baptism around here. And, you know, that's usually because someone has inquired and is interested and then we, we promote it and we get maybe a few others. Uh, but we're, if we're not careful around here and uh, we can compartmentalize baptisms, Right? Well, you can't get baptized until the church says that it's on the calendar. Sorry. Right? When the truth is, if, if you want to get baptized around here and the Holy Spirit is moving, tell us. And we'll make it happen. Right? And, and, and it's that strange way of doing church. Right? Where, where if we're not careful, we end up stifling the Holy Spirit in your life. You want to get baptized and, and, oh, but I don't, you know, it's not on the church calendar. I don't know what the next one is. And so God's moving, God's moving. You have this kind of like this flame and then it's not on the church calendar. You don't hear anything about it. And little by little, the flame just kind of dwindles. And now you're not as excited anymore. And we bring it up. You're like, well, I don't know. I got to check my schedule, you know, and, and I really want to encourage you, even as we move into the, continue moving through Mark, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, Act. You got to respond. You got to respond. Even, even right now, if you're sitting here and you're like, yeah, you know what, baptism, I always want to get baptized, and it just seems the timing is always off. Here's the deal. If God is moving you to get baptized, tell us. We'll go down to the beach. We'll find a swimming pool or a hot tub in town. We'll fire it up right here. It doesn't even have to be Sunday after church. It could be midweek. Amen. That's, that's what we want to kind of let you know that, that when the Spirit moves, it's our responsibility to respond and not necessarily try to put Him in the box to make it an event. Because what's special is that God's moving in your life. It's your event for you. Now, as a church, we try to promote it to maybe see if others, you know, and kind of uh, collectively do something. But I just want to encourage you, as we move through Mark and you see Jesus interacting and it's a very action-packed gospel Listen to the Holy Spirit, and, and maybe some of the boxes will be challenged, even evangelism, even, even sharing your faith, right? And I want to equip you today to maybe do that.
and to be more equipped and to feel a little more confident as you leave here about this, you know, following the example in this case today of, of John the Baptist or John the Baptizer, okay? So last week we looked at Mark 1.1 and it says this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And we saw that, that those 12 words are radical, Okay, and if you had time to ponder, we spent all last Sunday talking, we walked, literally walked through one verse, because the doctrine and the, what is said there is a radical, life-changing truth. Okay, and, and like I shared last Sunday, if you profess to believe those 12 words, you can go to other countries right, right now on this planet, and you'll get in a world of hurt because you believe those 12 words. And sometimes, again, we get real comfortable in, in our country and that we can say these things and believe these things without a lot of uh, necessarily overt oppression. We're not afraid of, you know, the police coming in right now and arresting us because we believe those 12 words. Uh, and so sometimes we can even become complacent, even kind of numb, even a little bit apathetic about what we believe, right? And so sometimes it takes Lynn doing joy to the world on February 26th. And we're like, oh, wait, those lyrics are cool. I like that, right? Because, again, we just become numb to joy to the world. And when it's, when it's taken out and put in a whole new context, suddenly you, you perk up, right? And so Mark, in, in many ways, because it's so action-packed, is a, is a kind of a perk-up book, right? It'll, it'll help, help us to kind of really follow Jesus and engage with him. The key theme, one of the key themes we saw from Mark 10, 45 was this, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we're going to see Jesus moving, right? We saw last week about 40 times the word immediately comes up in the Gospel of Mark. We're going to see Jesus on mission. And we're going to be with him. We're going to hear from him. And a lot of the learning is going to come from us just watching him. And hearing him interact and seeing him do miracles and teach. Uh, But it's going to be a very action-packed book. Dr. Paul Reese says this, the gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate. It is an announcement. See, this is, again, right off the bat, we're challenged. I love this quote because, again, a lot of us have turned into academics when it comes to our faith, when it comes to Christianity. So many resources are available that if we're not careful, we slide into discussion and debate, and we lose the heart of the gospel, and the word gospel means good news. How many of you have ever, something really good has happened in your life and you couldn't wait to share it with someone? Anyone? Right? How many of you, when you wanted to share this good news, you weren't really concerned about their reaction? It was just good news. You're like, hey, guess what? You're never going to believe, right? And even if they give you blank stares, oh, that's cool. That's cool. Wow, that's really cool. Right? Does it matter? You're like, no, that's good news. It's good news, and you look for somebody else. How many of you shared the good news of a, a raise or a getting hired somewhere or a birth of a child? How many of you have just gone and said the exact same thing to 50 different people, right? Right? You say the exact same thing because it's the good news. And somehow, in our faith, we've lost the fact that it's... See, that it's good news. It's good. It's really good news. It is the best. It's awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome, Bill. It's good news. It's good news. Okay, it's good news. 
Joy to the world, the king, you know, the Lord has come. It's good news. It's good news that if you're a believer here, it's good news that your name is written in the book of life. It's good news. And this world needs good news. Right? All you got to do is turn on your phone or turn on the news, whatever you do, and you just get bad news. Bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And you're just like, why did I turn this on, right? And then you come here and hopefully you're reminded through song and through fellowship that there's good news. Because what unites us at our core is good news. Now, we don't, we don't bury our head in the sand and we don't, you know, live in la-la land and, you know, don't pretend that, that there's no bad things or bad people. No, no, no. What we do, because of the good news, we are now equipped, enabled through the power of the Holy Spirit to leave these doors with joy empowered to face whatever life points at us, brings our way, in the power of the Holy Spirit, radically different than before we knew the Lord. Amen? Okay. So we're moving through, and today we're just going to nudge a little bit forward. You know, I'll be honest with you, there was a a passage, about uh, six verses, I read them, and I'm like, okay, what am I going to do here? Because, you know, you know, because we're in church, and we're going to get in on time, you know, again, the box of... I get that. And so I was like, okay, Lord, we're just going to pick a baby step. And we're going to take two verses today. Mark 1, 2, and 3. It says this. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Again, remember, Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles, those that don't have a lot of Jewish background, Okay, so he starts off again. We'll read it again. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, this is Mark writing. Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now I'm going to get a little bit teachy here for just a second. Some of you in your Bibles uh, may have footnotes or sometimes they have little um, helps, study Bibles. Some of your Bibles, or if you've studied this passage before, uh, may raise some eyebrows, okay? Because, uh, Jordan, put that back up. Here's, here's what may, you may, you may you maybe cock your head a little bit. It says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Okay. Some people kind of are a little bit challenged with that because it says, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, and then he goes on to quote that. Some of your Bibles may have these little footnotes that actually say, you know, that first first, uh, part, behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. That's actually from Malachi. That's Malachi 3.1. And then it says, uh, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. That's Isaiah. That's Isaiah 43. So some people, right, they kind of go, wait a sec. He says it's written in Isaiah, the prophet, but then he quotes Malachi and Isaiah. And they kind of get all, you know, kind of get like this, and they wonder if that's a challenge to the biblical reliability. And, you know, why would he, why would he say Isaiah, the prophet, and then include Malachi in there? And, you know, okay, let me just help you a little bit, okay? Has, it doesn't affect at all biblical reliability, it doesn't affect inerrancy, it's not a mistake, and it's not an error, okay? 
did a lot of research on this. And, and sometimes when I do a lot of research, I get tons of pages. I'm like, let me just read you something that, that helps, okay, someone who put it just right. So I want to I answer the questions that you may have had, uh, or they may come up if you're talking to someone. This is from the Christian Apologetics and Research Institute. Great website. I've used them for years and years. It's C-R- C-A-R-M.org, if you're interested. C-A-R-M.org. Christian Apologetics and Research Ministry. they got things about cults and world religions and biblical difficulties. Great website. Here's what they say about this challenging part. Okay, it says this. In the New Testament time period, it was not abnormal for a writer to quote two sources together and only name one of them. Ancient authors did not do so mistakenly, nor were they trying to trick the reader. They were usually quoting sources they expected their readers to be familiar with and thus knew that they would recognize the second author even without listing his name. There are a variety of reasons an ancient author might use such a technique. Biblical authors typically did so to point out how the unnamed author's words reinforce and clarify the central point of the named author. So in this point, Malachi essentially says the same thing as Isaiah. And Mark's like, you know what? I'm writing to Romans. Romans will probably know Isaiah, the greatest prophet. Okay? The point here is that this was a legitimate ancient practice, which in no way constitutes an error nor dishonesty. The Isaiah reading of Mark 1, 2, and 3 does not pose any problems for biblical reliability. Indeed, since this convention was normal at the time of the New Testament and not common in later centuries, this version provides further evidence that Mark is an authentic first century writing. It is, if anything, another minor evidence in favor of trusting Mark's gospel. Okay? Is that helpful? Okay. So, it was just common practice. That's how they cited things back there. And so when we view through the lens of 2023, we can get all bent out of shape and like, well, you know, yeah, why would he do that? You have to understand context. And so I'm, I'm just kind of want to help you with that in case that's, that's come across. And, and I really want to focus on what is being said in those verses. Because he says this, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. In Luke... We know that this is who? Who is he referring to? John the Baptist, right? Let's read Luke 1 in case you don't know. I'm going to be sensitive to those who, who may not be familiar. Luke 1 says this. Now, this is an angel speaking to John's parents. He says this. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Okay? So, it's John the Baptist. In Luke 1.80, it says, John grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance in Israel. Okay? So 
In Luke 1.13, there's his call. The angel says, this is what he's going to do. In Luke 1.80, we find out that John was hanging out in the wilderness until Mark, till he shows up out of the blue with this message. Now, what's significant is that from the time of Malachi to John's arrival, about 400 years have passed. And it's kind of been silent. And, you know, they've read the Old Testament prophecies about the coming Messiah. And 400 years have passed. And suddenly, John shows up. John shows up. So that's what Mark 1, 2, and 3 are referring to, which says, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, speaking of the Lord, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Okay, next week we're going to look much more at John's message. But let me just help you a bit also. John the Baptist was not a Baptist. I know some of you are like, was he the first Baptist? Is that where we get the Baptist? John the Baptist. He must have been Baptist, right? It's not like John the Presbyterian or, you know, John, John the Wellite. I mean, I don't even know what they call us. What do they call us, right? I don't know what they call us. So John the Baptist was not a Baptist. He was not the first Baptist. It should be John the Baptizer, okay? When it says John the Baptist, what they're referring to is what he was doing. He was baptizing. So I know it's kind of funny, but it can be a little bit like, I never knew. I thought he was Baptist this whole time, right? No, it's John the baptizer is actually how you, you probably would help you to remember his ministry and his calling. Okay, so he's John the baptizer. And, um, and it's really interesting because he says, right, in, in uh, go ahead and put it up again, Jordan, in verse 2 and 3. He says, prepare the way of the Lord Make his paths straight. Now, remember, Mark is writing to Roman Gentiles, and it's very interesting because Luke and Matthew, they, they talk about Jesus, 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 genealogy, the story of his birth. Mark focuses, verse 2 and 3, on the messenger. You're like, wow, that's radically different. Why would he do that? Because of his audience. See, in the culture of this day, when a king would be coming to a region or a country or a city, they would send a representative ahead of the king. They would send a herald. They would send someone else and, hey, people, the king is coming. Prepare the roads. See, the roads in the east were not well maintained. They'd have big old holes. They'd have rocks. They'd have trees. They'd have all kinds of stuff. And so in this culture, Mark begins with the messenger because the Romans would click with this. Right? They, oh, we did, yeah. I was at this town one time, and the messenger came in, and they said, king would be here in three days, and we got all ready. We made it all, right? How many of you have ever had something at your house, and you had to get ready? Because so-and-so's coming. Anyone? Okay, now let's get real honest. How many of you have a closet or room that's a no-go zone for the guests? Because everything goes in there. Prepare the way. Prepare the room. You mean throw it all in there? Yeah, throw it all in there. Right? In the shed, right? You're outside, right? It's funny, growing up, we had the, our house, we had this living room, which was like the, the living room. You don't touch it. Don't sit in there. Right? Like the family does not use the living room. Well, you go straight past the room down the hall into the family room. And the family room looks like a tornado hit it. But the living room is prepared for... Like, were you expecting them? No, no, no. Keep them in the living room. Okay. You know, because what would happen is, like, someone would come over, right? 
So the, the, the deal was you stall them in the living room, which is real. The piano's in there. You sit down. You know, and everyone in the back is cleaning up the family room really quick. And the bathroom, right? So we always were prepared. We had this preparedness. Like, anyone have a prepared room? Like, okay, I'm going to show up one day unannounced at your house. It's Pastor Richie and the elders. What do they want? I don't know. Maybe they'll go away. Shh. Shh. Yeah. I'm going to show up sometime. Hey, what's up, man? Anyway. So culturally, he's speaking to Roman Gentiles. They would understand. Like, oh. Because in verse 1, remember, he says, hey, God the Son. This is about God the Son. So John the Baptist is saying, hey. The king of kings is coming. Make the paths straight, clean up the roads, and we're going to see next week, or when we're together again, prepare your hearts. Prepare your hearts for the coming Messiah. Okay? And, and that's the heartbeat of this. It kind of sets the context, kind of sets what's going on. And so I was, I was, you know, honestly, I was like, okay, that's about 10 minutes worth of talking right there. Do I keep going? Because when we get into verse 4 and 8 through 8, it really gets into the repentance, biblical repentance and baptism of the Spirit. And, and, and there was this check, and I'm like, Lord, where do we go? Because we kind of understand. John the Baptist was called to this ministry. He comes out, and he's saying, hey, the King of Kings is coming. The Messiah is coming. Prepare yourself. Prepare yourself. And we're like, yes. And and then the more I thought about it, I was like, wait. He was preparing for Jesus to arrive, right, through his birth. And then suddenly it was like, wait, time out. Fast forward to 2023, February 26, 2023. Aren't we waiting for Jesus to arrive again? There's another coming. And here's the thing. Who were the messengers this time? We're the messengers. Right? In verse 2, it said, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. That's God the Father talking to God the Son. That, hey, I have a messenger, and he's going to go before you, Jesus. Well, if we fast forward to today, we're the messengers. Because there's another coming. And I, I want to encourage you in our, uh, this morning in our time that we have left to really maybe take a deep breath and pan out a little bit. And what I mean by that is sometimes life happens. And it happens and it happens and it happens and it happens. And suddenly all we see in front of us is the next bill and the next challenge, and the next issue, and the next thing at work, and the next debt, and the next debt, and the next text, and the next email. And suddenly we're living right here. Anyone? And this morning, what I want to do through this passage is get us to pan out. And get out of the daily grind to the eternal perspective. Because it can radically change someone today. It can put things in perspective, and it can actually probably challenge some of our priorities. Because in Matthew 24, he, Jesus himself talks about his second coming. Matthew 24, verses 3 to 8. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us when these things will be, 
And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ. And they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains, right? And so if you're out there in whatever media you're listening to, there's a lot of people who are wondering what times we're in based on what's happening globally, right? And then in verse 36 to 44, he says this, but concerning that day and hour of his return, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the son, but the father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the son of man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field, one will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one left. Therefore stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you, must, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. I share that with you because, again, a lot of us, even in our faith, we get consumed with this. And we, honestly, if don't, don't answer, just kind of think, when was the last time you actually thought about the return of Jesus. That the coming of Jesus kind of stirred you to be ready, right? Like I want to, like stewardship in the context of Jesus coming back, right? Uh, You know, well done, good and faithful servant, right? There's a great context for being a good steward. Well, when Jesus comes back, because he's coming back, I want to be a good steward, so this return of Jesus, there's this, there's this sense in the church that we've kind of lost that. And then we just get consumed with the things of life. And if we're not careful, we lose sight of all the people around us that aren't really ready for Jesus coming back. Right? Because there's a world, a wilderness, if you will, out there. And we are the messengers with the good news to go into the wilderness of a broken world with good news. Prepare yourself, and this is how you prepare yourself, through faith in Jesus. Amen? Right? 1 Peter 2.9. You are a chosen race. He's speaking about believers. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Remember he said, my messenger? Well, we're his peop- a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have a purpose, and it's very similar to John the Baptist's. We're to go proclaim something. We're to proclaim in this verse the excellencies of him. Give him praise, his nature, his character, the good news. Th- that word proclaim, actually, in one, in one sense, it means advertise. Our life is to be, and we are to be living advertisements of the good news of Jesus. Amen? Okay. Question. 
What has your commercial been saying about Jesus? What is that? Right? Were you all excited about the Super Bowl commercials? Right? No, oh, that was funny. Aha, uh-huh, Doritos, yada, 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 right? A lot of time and effort and money, millions into a 30-second commercial advertisement, right, for billions to see around the globe. We're supposed to be living advertisements for your coworkers and your family and your friends and your neighbors to see Jesus, right? 1 Peter 2.11 in the NIV says this, Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You know what's cool? This is just saying, hey, the advertisement is how you live. Sometimes we get really nervous about, you know, evangelism because it's about, you know, well, you're the paid professional. Can you come talk to my friend? Because I don't know the verses. You know, and you think, no, the first layer of evangelism is your life. Because they're watching. They're watching. You don't think your coworkers are listening to your conversations at work? Your kids, mom and dad, are listening to your conversations at home? Right? It's really interesting, you know, doing what I do for a living because, you know, we try to be incognito in our neighborhood in a sense, right? It's kind of strange, right? Oh, yeah, oh, there's Pastor Richie's house. I'm like, oh, man, my lawn's not taken care of. He's like, oh, man, he's a pastor? His lawn's horrible. You know what I mean? He, like, get all bent out of shape. Like, what does that communicate, you know? There's this sense of what is your life, just how you're living. Is there joy? Are you living out a sense of good news? Uh, is your commercial drawing people to want to inquire more. Yeah, I've shared with you before, way back in the late 80s, early 90s, for a while I did uh, customer service for Geico, you know, tied to the little line. Hello, you know, thanks for coming. And that was back in the, how many remember like in the 90s or something, Geico came out with some really funny commercials, right? Really good, effective commercials. Well, what would happen is, uh, it was, it was kind of cool. They would, we would know, the sales department would know when a commercial showed because right after commercial, the sales lines would light up. It actually worked, right? Commercial inquiries. Commercial inquiries. Question. Is your life just, yeah, are, does your life just make people like, man, something's different about you. Something that I want. Something that I need. Something that I at least want to inquire about, right? And so I just encourage you with that, that John the Baptist came proclaiming good news. He was God's messenger. We are God's messengers with the good news of Jesus' death and resurrection, right? So just kind of, just a thought. How are you living your life in such a way to advertise for Jesus, right? And then there might be times, honestly, when, when you got to use your words. Okay, 1 Peter 3.15, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord is holy. Always be pre- being prepared 
to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Always being prepared to make a defense, okay? In the NLT, New Living Translation, it says this, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life, and if someone asks you, asks about your hope as a believer, always be ready to explain it. Okay, so just again, think about it. Are you at a place where you feel like you're ready to explain your faith with gentleness and respect? Could you explain it? Could you, could you give a defense? Hey, man, why do you go to church? What is this whole church thing all about? What would you say? You know, I, I shared with you a little while ago, years ago, I was doing a Thanksgiving outreach in San Diego with a buddy. He drove a school bus, and I jumped on the school bus, and he'd park in downtown San Diego, and I'd run around inviting homeless people to jump on the school bus, and we'd take them to our church, and uh, they'd get haircuts, food, new clothes, help resumes, and all this, and then once they were done, we would take them back and drop them off in downtown. So I jump on the bus with my buddy Chaz, he parks, and I go running around downtown, and I have to be back. And I'll never forget this. I shared this with you before. An older Hispanic gentleman, I share with him. and say, hey, you want to come on the bus? We'll take you up there to Claremont. All this stuff is available for free, and we'll take you back. He just looks at me, and he says, how do I get saved? And I have like a minute to get back to the bus. I can't stay there and like have this long discussion with this gentleman who just literally asked me how he gets saved. And so I do my best. He didn't want to come on the bus. I did my best in a minute before I had to go run and catch the bus before my buddy had to go back. What would you say if you had a minute with someone who literally asked you, how did you get saved? How do you get saved? How can I get saved? Right? We have to be ready. And it does take some effort. Honestly, this is, this is where, you know, it takes a little bit of discipline, commitment, memorization, right? And this is where as adults, we kind of say, well, you know, my, I love my kids, loving memory verse. They go to VBS and they give me the memory verse. They go to Awanas and the memory verse. But how many of us as adults still do memory verses? Some of us are just trying to remember where our Bible is at this age. You're like, where did I put them, right? Then you flip on your phone. <laughs> oh, it's right here, right? I just want to equip you a little bit we're not going to spend a lot of time. I'm just going to give you verses, great verses to memorize. If you've not memorized these, these are great gospel-oriented verses. They're in the notes. But I just want to give it to you so that you can be ready as God's messenger. Be, okay, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Amen? Amen. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen? Ephesians 2.8.9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Okay? And then finally, 1 Timothy 3. This is good, And it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. 
These are just a survey. There's, there's, there's out there. I just give you these as a starting point, and I would encourage you slash challenge you, memorize them. Memorize them. You're like, why? Well, you never know. Because I learned early on as a believer, and someone, I'll never forget the counsel I got as a new believer coming into ministry, said, if, if someone is speaking to you and inquiring about the gospel and about the Lord, you have to give them a verse. And then you let the Holy Spirit. You send them away with a verse, and then the Holy Spirit can chew on you know, that'll get in their heart. It's not my opinion. Sure, share your opinion. Sure, share your testimony. But you need to give them the word of God. Because the word of God is living and active. Through the power of the Holy Spirit. So you got to be able at some point, our responsibility is to share scriptural truth. Not just our opinion. Not just try to out-debate someone. Not just try to argue someone. Give them a verse. Even if they disagree, give them a verse. I shared with you before, if someone really wants to know about Jesus and who Jesus is, encourage them, give them a Bible and, and a New Testament and have them read the Gospel of John. Great starting point. What should I read in the Bible? I really want to know about Christianity and Jesus. Read the Gospel of John. And by the way, if you're here and you don't have a Bible, Pastor Tyler, we got a ton of them. See Pastor Tyler or one of us, we'll get you a Bible before you leave here today. Okay? You got to have one. My point is, you got to know the Word of God. In fact, when I went through the uh, Armor of God series, right, what is the Bible called? Our, it's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This is our sword. Sword drills. You got you to gotta know your sword. What, what soldier, what Roman soldier? I talked about that in that series. This is the sword. Can you imagine a Roman Gladiator, Roman centurion going out to war, and the general's like, where's your sword, soldier? Uh, I don't know. What soldier, what Roman soldier would go to war without a sword? Well, a lot of us got to know your sword. It's the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So memorizing it, studying it, it's like sword drills. It's becoming very, very skilled. Very skilled in the use of your sword, okay? And then someone else shared with me before uh, also about, you know, sometimes we get really nervous about sharing our faith. Why do we get really nervous about sharing our faith? Because we're scared of rejection. What if they ask me a question I don't know, right? What if, what if they get upset and all this kind of stuff, right? Well, First Peter says we do it with gentleness and respect, but one of the reasons I kind of struggled with sharing my faith as a young believer is I always thought I had to close the deal. Right? You walk them through one, two, three, four spiritual laws, and then you yeah, close the deal. Right? You come in for the closer. And I was like, man, that, that gets kind of weird, right? Because we're just having a discussion, but if I'm always in the back of my mind feeling like I have to close the deal, then it gets really weird sometimes. I can't just let it be. And I came across this, I read a, quote by Bill, a book by Bill Bright, Witnessing Without Fear, and he says this, he said this, success in witnessing is simply taking the initiative to share Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and leaving the results to God. There you go. How many find that freeing? Leave the results to God. Share your testimony. Share scripture. 
leave the conversation feeling good that you were God's messenger for that moment. That's it. Because you might have just reinforced what someone else said to the person the day before. And you're just one in the long line of believers that God is bringing into this person's life. You don't have to be the closer. Now, sometimes you get to be the closer. How many have ever had the privilege to bring someone to faith? You're like, dude, that's like awesome, right? But yeah, most of the time we're watering. Most of the time we're planting. Most of the time we're just reinforcing what someone else has already said. Leave the results to God. We're God's messengers. We don't have to be God's closers. Okay? Crucial difference. Then I also want to kind of share you, I'll give you those verses. I also wanted to help you a little bit with apologetics, like a defense. And I've shared this with, with you before. Uh, this one is about uh, the birth of Jesus and fulfilled prophecies, like the biblical reliability and fulfilled prophecies. Well, uh, years ago, a professor, he, he looked at eight prophecies regarding Jesus' birth, right? He just took eight of them. There's more than eight. But he says, what is the probability that eight of these prophecies would be fulfilled in the timing and coming of Jesus at his birth, right? The probability of just eight prophecies being fulfilled in Jesus was one, one in 10 to the 17th power. Okay, so it'll give you that. There it is right there. Just eight prophecies, one in 10 to the 17th power, just for eight prophecies of Jesus' birth coming to pass as the Bible said it would. Okay, to kind of help you understand that number, because it's like, I can't even wrap my mind. That's a big number. I know it's a, there's a lot of zeros, but how big is that? Well, uh, what they said is, if you took one in 10 17th uh, dollars, so you took a silver dollar, right? And I know some of you live in Venmo world, so you don't even know what fiat currency is anymore, like dollars. Who uses paper money anymore? Who uses coins, right? So there's a thing called a silver dollar, and it's about that big. Okay. Okay. So if you took 10 to the 17th silver dollars, and you spread them out over the state of Texas, okay? You know how big Texas is, right? It would cover, one, uh, 10 to the 17th silver dollars would cover Texas two feet deep. Okay. So then I take Bobby... All right, and I blindfold Bobby, and I get one of those 10 to the 17 silver dollars, and I bury it somewhere in Texas. Okay, all of Texas covered, two feet deep. I blindfold Bobby, and I say, Bobby, you got one shot to find the red silver dollar. Go. You got it, yeah. <laughs> You see how crazy that would be? That's, that's eight prophecies regarding Jesus' birth. It's phenomenal. Right? It's phenomenal. So people say, well, why do you believe in Jesus' birth? Well, let me share these prophecies and how crazy it is that it all came to pass. Right? That's giving, a, that's giving an answer. Right? Regarding the resurrection, I've shared before many Easter's the historical fact of the resurrection. Right? I've shared with you before, in the timeline of Earth's history, okay, the actual timeline with all the world events, World War I, da 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 invention of this, all the actual world events on the timeline of this planet, the resurrection 
had to have happened or we're all wasting our time. I tell you this almost every Easter. If the resurrection of Jesus did not happen as a historical fact on the timeline of earth's history, go home. Because the Bible says our faith is in vain. My preaching in his vain. We're still in our sin. There is no good news. If the resurrection did not happen as a historical event. Right? That's why I'm here. Like I shared with you before, I was at UCLA. I went to law school. So when they were people, my friends were sharing the gospel, I was like, let me, ooh, time out here, cowboy. I'm going to do some studying about this resurrection thing. And I was challenged right off the bat that it either happened or it didn't. It's not myth. It's not mythology. It's not legend. It's not because mommy said so. You got to settle the issue of the resurrection. Jesus raising from the dead actually happened on a timeline of earth's history. Right? And so I searched it out and I'd done a bunch of stuff and I, I came across this, this passage and I, you know, it's a bunch of books in my office. It says this. Dr. Simon Greenleaf was the royal professor of law at Harvard University. He examined the value of the historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ to ascertain the truth. Greenleaf came to the conclusion that, according to the laws of legal evidence used in courts of law, there is more evidence for the historical fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ than for just about any other event in history the royal professor of law at Harvard, examining the historical evidence for the resurrection. I shared with you before, if you're examining a historical event, you can't use the scientific method. Why can't you use a scientific method for any historical event? Because a scientific method is based on something being repeatable. You can't prove that you were born using the scientific method because you can't repeat your birth. What do you do? You use the legal, what's called the legal historical method. You bring in evidence. You bring in witnesses. It's the court of law. That's what he's saying. Based on legal historical evidence, Simon Greenleaf says, it happened. That's part of our faith. That's foundational to your faith. You got to know why you believe this. It's not pie in the sky stuff. It's not myth. It's not legend and I really appreciate the fact in 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, you know what, if the resurrection didn't happen, y'all are fools. Seriously. If it didn't happen, do not come back. Let's just go across the street and take photos. I'm not wasting my time here. I'm going to watch TV or something, you know. But it happened. My conviction is, based on the evidence and the things I've studied, I'm here because Jesus rose from the dead. I mean, that's just why I'm here. Josh McDowell says this, A believer in Jesus Christ today can have the complete confidence, as did those first Christians, that his faith is based not on myth or legend, but on the solid historical fact of the empty tomb. Okay, so I share this with you again. There's verses, there's logical arguments and historical evidences you can share as God's messenger. Mark 6, 15 says, 16, 15 says, And he said to them, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. This is what we do. We're the messengers of the gospel. It's good news. Right? Man, who doesn't want to be a messenger of good news? Anyone ever have to be a messenger of bad news? Hey, uh, can, I, can I come talk to you? Can, can you come to my office? 
Dude, I get that all the time. It's like, hey, you want to go out for coffee? Why? I'm like, I'm not the principal here at the well. Like, get called to my office. It's like, I'm going to the principal's office. Pastor Richie wants to talk to me. How many of you prefer being the messenger of good news? Hey, you got a raise. Hey, we're hiring you. Hey, versus, hey, yeah, not so good, right? But we're the messengers of good news. Messengers of good news. The Great Commission, it was in the video. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. What are we supposed to be doing? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So that was John the baptizer. Who are the baptizers today? Us. And I'm going to say something, and it may rock your world a little bit. Who's allowed to baptize? Believers. Then you don't have to wait till one of us are available. One of the greatest privileges I have, just because it's my role, I've got to do it for years and years, is to baptize people. But here's the deal. You can baptize each other. You can baptize a new believer. Someone who puts their faith. You don't have to wait to see if I'm available. Isn't that cool? Like, that's when the gospel comes to life. That's when the church is being the church. And just being led of the Holy Spirit and doing what the Holy Spirit is calling the church to do. That's the joy. So then the question is, okay, as we wrap up, what, what, what has happened? Why, why aren't we just out there going, woohoo, world, good news, good news, good news, good news. You know what? What has happened? Okay. I came across this uh, quote by Wilbur Reese, and it really has to do with our hearts. It's still a heart issue. It says this, talking about how much God you want in your life, Wilbur Reese says this, I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beats with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want the warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy $3 worth of God, please. See? It's very challenging to the church. Because many of us, for some reason have turned God into our comfort. And we want just enough of God to keep us comfortable and to meet our needs and to get us through the tough times. But we don't want so much of God that it's going to blow up our planet and our world. Amen? Like radically transform us, radically help us cross barriers that we didn't want to cross before and talk to people. You know, I remember a dear friend of mine, dear, dear friend of mine, Loved the Lord, growing in the Lord, very strong man, very just had his opinions and stuff. And we took students down to Skid Row, Center for Student Missions, early 2000, 2010. This, mis- this um, mis- uh, ministry is you bring youth groups down to Skid Row for a weekend and they live. We lived in a, in a house. And you interact with all the homeless on Skid Row. You take them to lunch. They had us lay down at uh, this part in this asphalt to feel what it's like to sleep and we had to interact with the homeless. Take, you know, like, and I remember my, my buddy, he was coming as a chaperone. He did not want to go. He's like, no, I don't want to go. And he has very strong opinions about 
that demographic of people. And he was a strong believer. But that strong, he just had some cultural and experiential stuff. He's like, nope. They just need to da-da-da-da-da. And he kind of had a hard heart. I'm like, just come. Come with me to help watch the kids. Okay, I'll, I'm going to go just because you asked me to and because I can watch the kids and keep them safe. God transformed this man because he got into the trenches and heard their story. And we served at a soup kitchen. And it broke his heart. And we were driving back. We were driving back, and he said, that just changed me. That just changed me. That's what more than $3 worth of God will do. So the question is, how much, how much God do you want? $3 or more? Right? Because if we're going to proclaim the good news, and if we're going to be messengers until the, the return of Jesus, we got to want all of God. We can't just cap him at 3 bucks. And then tuck them, tuck them in our, our wallet and our whatever and our Venmo and say, we're good. I got enough God. I got just enough God to meet my needs. If, we, if we're doing that, we miss the whole point. We miss the whole point that someone at some point shared the good news with us. We responded through the power of the Holy Spirit and through our understanding. We came to the place of faith and we receive the good news. Now here's the whole point. We now go out and do what was done to us. Share the good news. It's like multi-level marketing. Right? It's our downline. It doesn't end with us. Amen? That's how the early church grew. It's like Amway on steroids. Right? Think about all the mark multi right. Multi-level. What do they do? They're motivated by money, and they, they invite their friends over, and then they share the plan. We have the plan. It's called the gospel. Amen? So I just want you to be free, but the heart challenge here, honestly, guys, we've got to check ourselves. How much of God do you want? Do you want enough God that you literally say, my life is yours? Take it. Take my resources, take my house, my car, whatever. It's all yours. Because honestly, we're just the messengers. <laughs> we have a mission. It's a glorious mission. Because we know Jesus is coming back. And until he comes back, like John the baptizer, we are proclaiming the good news. Be ready. Be ready. Be ready. Okay, so I love this. I love that you all come in here. I love worship together. I love our fellowship. It is, it, I'm blessed by this church, amen? Okay, but there's a whole bunch of people in this valley that need Jesus. So let's not just become, you know, I used to say before when we were a smaller church, let's not become us 50 and that's nifty. Right? Because if you're not careful, churches can become like that. They just get, you know, we got just enough God and just enough church, and now it's, you know, us 50 and that's nifty. Until Jesus comes back. Just us 50, because that's nifty. No. No. When new people come, we should celebrate. When a new person comes and they're in your seat, you should celebrate. <laughs> See, no one said amen on that. Like, oh, that's my seat. That's my seat. When new people come and they take your seat, you should be happy. Amen. Right? When new people come and there's not enough donuts and cheese, you should say Amen. Because that's a good problem. 
That's a good problem. If we run out of seats and donuts and cheese, God is moving. Isn't? God is moving. So let's just be messengers. Let's be like John the baptizer. Let's go out, proclaim the good news, leave the results to God, and just be salt and light that we're called to be. Okay? We're going to celebrate communion, but here's something too. Look at 1 Corinthians 11, and even communion is tied to Jesus coming back. I love this. 1 Corinthians 11. For I receive from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Uh, Worship team, you guys can come on up. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so oftentimes when you do communion, we say, remember Jesus and what he did, and we should. But there's the other side of the coin, until he He's coming back. So when you take communion today and maybe moving forward, don't just remember what he did for you at the cross and be thankful and gratitude. Look with joy that he's coming back. When we take communion, it is a declaration of my conviction, your conviction of the gospel, Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, and his return. So that's why we encourage you, come forward, because this is your opportunity to make your personal declaration, your personal proclamation. When you take communion, it's a proclamation that I believe in the good news and that I'm taking communion in remembrance of my Lord and Savior and I believe he's coming back. That's the significance of communion. Quick survey, how many love the cold? You prefer cold. How many of you are like, I need it hot, this is driving me crazy? All right, all right. But I think we can agree that all creation declares the glory of God, right? You just look out there, million-dollar view, right? Wayne's so, Wayne's so cool. He's like, hey, maybe we should just go out and talk to all the people taking photos and invite them in, right? <laughs> Next time God does this, we'll set up donuts and coffee right there. <laughs> Photo. Hand him a little invite to church. Anyway, uh, lots of announcements. Come on up, Kathy. Women's ministry. If you don't know Kathy Bodycomb, doing an incredible job. Women's ministry. <laughs> Um, So, um, on uh, Monday evenings at our Bible study, we are studying 1 John. And so I'd like to just read a little bit from 1 John 4. This is the Phillips translation. Dearly loved friends, let us go on loving one another, for love comes from God. And whoever truly loves has been born of God and knows God. But the one who does not love cannot know him at all, for God is love. To us, the greatest demonstration of God's love for us has been his sending his only son into the world to give, his life through, uh, to give us life through him. We see real love, not in the fact that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to make personal atonement or payment for our sins. If God loved us as much as that, surely we in our turn should love each other. Um, so this is kind of um, our um, going to be kind of our.
promotion of women's ministry this year and kind of our uh, what we'd like to build uh, on this year of the events that we have. Um, this is our purpose for women's ministry is to really is to demonstrate the love of God and to love each other. Um, so whatever events we have, um, we'd like to um, uh, we'd like you to think that this is a place to um, get to know each other, a place that where we, as we get to know each other, we um, can pray for each other, we can bring somebody new. Um, so just kind of kind of wrap that all in into the events that we have. So um, that's getting down to uh, the event that I'm supposed to be actually announcing up here. Um, and that's the Coffee and Convos that's coming up this Saturday. March 4th, 10 a.m. here at the well. Um, it's usually outside, but it might be a little chilly, so we uh, might do most of it in the commons. So we're going to have a couple of things um, to make it a little fun. Um, we're having one little class uh, that you could just participate in if you'd like, and it's tips on using your iPhone. So this is going to be an intergenerational class, the younger <laughs> teaching the older. Um, and then we're going to have an ice cream tasting bar at 10 a.m. So anyway, it should be fun. We'd like you all to come um, uh, to it. So thank you. Wow. Okay. Yes. Tips on using your iPhone. How about tips on using a landline. That would be something, right? Right. How many landliners? Right. See, some people are like, "What? What's a landline?" Right. All right. Uh, next announcement, uh, Kathy. Again, thank you. Doing a wonderful job with women's men's men's ministry. I just want to spend a little bit of time uh, moving into 2023. Uh, the Lord has really put on on my heart and the the elders' heart uh, men's ministry, and we've been. Uh, Speaking about announcing a men's breakfast coming up Saturday, March 18th at 8.30, and there's a sign-up sheet on the welcome cart. But I want to really kind of just give you kind of a picture of where we're heading with men's ministry. Uh, There's different levels, and we know at a certain point, you know, men's breakfasts or men's barbecues or men's bowling, there's value to that. There's friendships, there's just hanging out, getting to know one another. We get that. And Mark has a men's Bible study Wednesday night via Zoom. There's an incredible one Sunday mornings here at 9 with Matt and Jody facilitating it. And so that's, that could be another level of interaction and sharing of lives. Uh, but specifically this year moving forward, what we're going to do, and we'll, sp- we'll be speaking more of this uh, at the breakfast, is we are really going to uh, invite the men here, uh, not just to share lives, uh, but if you want to call it, uh, maybe get a little more real with life and specifically dealing with uh, issues that are specific to the men. Uh, It could be uh, what it means to be a godly husband, what it means to be a godly dad. It could be what we've been talking about, stewardship. It could also be issues that, quite honestly, uh, even in the church, a very high percentage of men deal with pornography and lust. And, uh, you know, sometimes those subjects, uh, you bring them up, and it gets a little bit, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. You know, in fact, we kind of... Our challenge, right, our challenge, and I'll just be honest with you, our challenge here is, can you imagine we have a a, a Monday night Bible study? We have a Monday night Bible study for the men on pornography. Come at 7 p.m. How many cars are going to want to park right here, right? All you all park in the cul-de-sac, jump the fence, sneak in through the back, because I don't want my car, you know, can you imagine? 
oh, Mark's there for that Monday night study. I know what he must be dealing with, right? Because I saw his car at the church, right? I say that with you to kind of just put it out there. We laugh about it, but it's true, right? And, and this fear and this stigma about these issues, quite frankly, I believe is used by the enemy. These core issues that are destroying your spiritual walk, that are destroying your marriage, that are destroying your home, right, uh, and are keeping you in bondage and in darkness, quite literally, the church offers great resources that you can come and be equipped and have support and prayer without shame and condemnation, and yet we are so, in our culture, so scared of what they'll think of me that we will choose to live in bondage rather than get help. And I say that as a brother in the Lord. I say that with great understanding. So we're going we're gonna to kind of seek the Lord just to let you know and, and you know, be very uh, wise and sensitive to how we're going to approach these issues. But I'm just telling you right up front, we're going to approach the issues. We're not, we're not going to skirt them because we're scared of what people are going to think. I mean, I'm going to guess that 99.99%, if not 100% of the men here or listening at home, have at some point, I'll just paint a really broad brush, at some point in your life have dealt with pornography and lust. I'm just going to paint it really broad, okay? And so we want to, we want to especially in the culture that we're in, you know, you talked about tips with iPhones. Well, there you go. Pornography is available everywhere. You know, we hear about how common it is at Nordoff, right? Think about that. And, and I know sometimes it's challenging for us in a different generation where you had to be sneaky about it and you had to go buy it somewhere and you had to eat. Now, it's right here. What do you do with that? How do you deal with that when the enemy and darkness comes in and it's like right there? So uh, we're going we're to address it. And, and it's not just that, but other issues. So, man, I'm going to ask you to pray. I'm going to ask you to really, um, in, in, in some sense, take this the right way, uh, have some courage. Because for some, it's going to take a lot of courage to walk through the door. And that courage that you're going to have to take a few deep breaths about is to get over the fear of what these other guys are going to think about me. Until you get in the group and the other guys share, and you're like, you too? And you're like, oh, my gosh. We're We're all broken. And not a one of us has it locked on 100% down, okay? Uh, the Bible calls us to bear each other's burdens. And again, sometimes uh, it's hard to one another because as much as I need help, I'm just scared of what you or you or you are going to think about me. And so I'll live in isolation and bondage and really desperation all because I'm scared of what some other guy is going to think about me. And this other guy is actually dealing with the same stuff, and actually caught up in the same fears, right? So I just share that with you. Uh, this breakfast, we're going to kind of uh, share the vision and, and really kind of enjoy ourselves and then present a plan and see where, really, I'm just going to ask you, pray and be open to what God is kind of saying to you about, you know, not just hanging out, not just sharing, but just kind of looking into this stuff. Because here's the thing, too. Uh, God might use you in someone else's life. Right? Someone else's life. And being equipped to, let's say, deal with pornography or lust in a, in a small group setting, God might use you in someone else's life to help speak truth and bring light into that issue, and they might come to Jesus. 
because of your ministry to them outside of these four walls. So there's also value to this, not just for me, but even to be salt and light and equipped to go into the community. Amen? All right, men. Jordan. Good morning, church. If you don't know me, my name is Jordan Stufflebeam. I am the youth director here at The Well, and I have one announcement for us for youth this week, and we're having a special guest speaker come, but before I get to that, uh, I just wanted to share a little bit about myself in the realm of just youth ministry, because I didn't really, I grew up kind of going to church, but I never went to youth groups, so, you know, I don't really know what they're like, and so... Uh, a lot of my own growth and development has been working with Richie because, you know, he was a youth pastor. And so one of the things is learning a lot of the mechanics about how, you know, how an event or a program works. So there's a lot of, you know, scheduling and stuff. Uh, but one of the other things that he has been helping me with, and which I think is, is awesome, is, is really that component of just being yourself, but not it just being a program to run, uh, but really allowing it to be a relational kind of um, there's relational aspects to it as well. And so that really resonates with me. So again, I, I didn't grow up going to youth groups. I, don't really, I didn't really know what they're like. So I jive a lot more with just kind of, we're being here. Yeah, we're here and we have games and we have a teaching. But the heart for, for me in it is to really minister to the kids, to get to know them and to really build that relationship with them. And so I share that because, uh, you know, I think many of you know that we do stuff on Wednesdays. We do stuff on Tuesdays, and they, you know, Bible studies, and we do events. Uh, but a heart, you know, my heart with it, and even my wife, Shiloh, like when we have students over on Tuesdays, and you know, we have a Bible study, is to really get to spend time with them, get to know them, and really just be the body of Christ together. And so I share that because this Wednesday we are having a special event. And, uh, and if you don't know already, my wife and I are expecting our first child. Yes. In August, and so one of the ways that we like to, like I said, be relational with the students is we share our lives with them. So I don't know. I think they're okay with this, but we're pretty excited to share, like when we've gone in to uh, Shiloh's uh, appointment, and we have an ultrasound photo. And so we're like sharing about it, kind of put it into the teaching, you know, showing the value of life. And so we like to share our lives with them. And uh, so one of the things that we did is we actually revealed the gender of our baby, and we had fun with it, so yes. <laughs> so if you can't tell, it, it is a girl. And uh, we brought treats that had little pink, uh, I think they were Valentine's cookies. I dressed up. Uh, so we like to have fun with it, and we like for them to be a part of our lives, right? Because uh, it's not just about all the teaching and stuff, although that's valuable. But, you know, being loved and accepted and just being the church is, is really valuable. So what we're doing uh, some of you know that we support a, an organization called Life Choices. Uh, it's an organization here in Ojai, and they help families that are pregnant or, you know, and perhaps, you know, it could be just a single mother who's trying to struggle with uh, becoming pregnant. Pregnant, She doesn't have a father around. Uh, so they support families through this process by providing them a lot of resources. A lot of it's for free, whether it's diapers, uh, even appointments so they can go to get stuff checked out. So what we're doing is we're inviting them to come out on Wednesday. Uh, and again, special speaker, she's going to talk about what they do, really talk about the value of life. And they're going to do a live uh, ultrasound on Shiloh's stomach while we're here. So uh, I don't know if many of the students have actually seen that. I know when I first saw it, it was kind of mind-blowing. But then when I actually went for Shiloh's first one, I freaked out. 
And in a really good way, when you just hear, like, the baby's heart, and you're like, that is my child in there? And I'm sure you parents, you, you know, you're like, yeah, yeah, he's getting it now. Uh, <laughs> and it's amazing. So I want, we want to share that. We want to share that as, as just really showing the value that we have as human beings uh, in God's eyes. Um, and, and way before we're even, you know, out here in the world, you know, happens while the, the baby's still in there developing. So this is a special moment for us. We want to share it with the students. So parents, that's what we'll be doing this Wednesday at Youth Group. Um, so come join us. Thank you. Wow. Okay. I, I mean, seriously, it's like, really, I got to like follow those two announcements. I mean, dude, I should have gone first. All right. So, um, so I just want to talk about prayer. Prayer and revival. Um, Gavin Ortland down the street at the Baptist Church has really had a burden for more than a year or so just to be uh, gathering Christians from throughout the valley to get together and pray, to be praying for revival. Let me just read you a definition uh, out of the dictionary. What is revival? It is an awakening in the church of interest in and care for matters relating to personal faith. It is an awakening in the church. And yes, it may go outside, and there may be you know, ways of sharing the gospel, but it starts with you and me. That's where revival starts. And so on Tuesday mornings, you've you know, been hearing and seeing once a month, the first Tuesday of the month, there's an opportunity to get together. And there have been so far a couple of churches that have been represented there. And then tonight, uh, last, last Sunday was the first one, and tonight, uh, this has been kind of an impromptu thing that the Lord has just put on some people's heart. Uh, there's going to be a gathering down at the Baptist Church tonight at 730. Uh, last Sunday, there were four churches in the valley that were represented there. And what we're doing is simply responding to the Lord's desire for revival, of coming in prayer ourselves with our own hearts and our own lives to put ourselves before the Lord, because when we are revived in our lives, when we are revived in our churches, that is how the gospel is spread. When you look, at, and I don't know how, if you followed it or have been encouraged by what's been going on over the last couple, three weeks in Asbury and a whole bunch of different colleges, but that was a move of the Spirit. It started with students getting up and confessing sin and confessing their lives and just laying their lives before the Lord. So I just want to encourage you, if the Lord is prompting you or prompting you just in your own life to revive, um, there's an opportunity tonight, 730 down at the Baptist Church. Come on down and join us.